Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics. And I'm Dr. Kimberly Crowder, Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at UMC. And I'm here ready to talk about all things eyes. Yep. Itchy eyes, blurry eyes, cataracts, macular degeneration, laser surgery. We've got it all. So give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING or 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. And also, we'll take your email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We may use your question on the air today or we may use it later, but we will get it answered. So give us a call and we'll be right back after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to a live broadcast of Southern Remedy on this spring day. And we're glad you're here with us. It's our job to give you as much accurate information about medical issues as we possibly can during this hour, and we're going to do our very best. We can't do that unless you give us a call and ask your question at one eight seven seven mpb ring or one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Dr. Crowder, Dr. Kimberly Crowder, uh, who is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology in, uh, at UMC, is our guest again. Dr. Good Crowder, thank you so much for coming back. Glad to be here. We had so many calls and emails the last time uh, Dr. Crowder was here, which wasn't that long ago, six weeks or so, uh, that we wanted to get her back on again and try to get some more issues covered because it was clear that a lot of folks want to ask questions about eyes. And let me tell you, if your eyes are itching like mine, Dr. Crowder, I, I sort of feel like I'm drowning in pollen. They they have been, and we are all drowning in pollen, and the eye symptoms are prominent in many people this time of year. So we'll talk about your eye itching, your eye hurting. Uh, we want to really want to talk about penetrating injuries of the eye, and we have open lines uh, right now at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. One of the problems that we've had is access to eye care, Dr. Crowder. And Dr. Fontenelle, my colleague down on the Gulf Coast, has been working on access issues. Dr. Joe, are you there? I'm right here, Dick. All right. Yeah, I've got Kimberly Crowder, one of your favorites up here. Good morning. And uh, we just wanted to spotlight the fact that your clinic is operative down there, right? Right, right. So tell real quickly, we got a lot of calls. Tell us what the clinic is and what the access opportunities are. Can you Hello, hear me? Dick? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, we are located in Gulfport at the southern, uh, I'm sorry, southern uh, planning and development district. Okay. And uh, we are... Uh, what's called a rehabilitation rehabilitation practice, and we're called Community Services for Vision Rehabilitation. We help people who have vision loss for any reason, from macular degeneration, diabetic eye disease, glaucoma. So if you have vision loss for any reason whatsoever, we are available. Our phone number is 
228-760-0788. And as Give us that one more time. Knows, we can help almost anybody who has vision loss from any cause. We have an occupational therapist who works with us. We have a wide array of magnifiers, strong glasses, and uh, are willing and able to see anybody with or without insurance. That is wonderful, Dr. Joe. Give us that number one more time. Right, 228-760-0788. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about what you do during the show. We thank you for calling in. We don't have a real good connection, so we'll give that number again a little bit later. Thank you, and God bless you for what you're doing down there. That is an incredible service. You're you're aware of what he's doing. Right? I am, and so just to be clear to the public, it's, it's his clinic is not for medical treatment of these diseases. His clinic is for when, unfortunately, you know, sometimes with diabetes and frequently with macular degeneration, people do end up losing a significant amount of vision. And there are lots of resources and visual aids that can be provided to patients to assist them with their daily living activities. Um, and Dr. Joe is responsible for connecting the proper resources, the proper aids with the um, with the right patient. And so, so he evaluates low vision patients to see what needs they have within their home or their work um, to fulfill their daily living um, activities. And he's doing that, uh, you know, as a service to the community he after is. many years of he practice. Is. And we're just really thankful for people like <clears throat> Dr. Joe and others who give their time. Let's go to George in Grand Bay. Hey, George. Hey, doctors. Good morning to you. Thanks for your call. Uh, thank you. Uh, doctors, I have a question. I was born in 1947, premature, and there was a practice back then to put premature babies in pure oxygen incubators. That said, I had um, scars on the retina and also loose eye muscles, and I developed toxoplasmosis. So therefore, right now I'm 66. I'm legally blind. Yes, sir. Does, um, and all of my doctors, I only went to MDs, all of my ophthalmologists said there's just no, I mean, there's nothing we can do because, but my question is, is it true about the pure oxygen and toxoplasmosis, where does that come from? So these are two totally separate um, disease processes. The um, pure oxygen in premature infants um, increases the risk of development of what's called retinopathy of prematurity. And what this means is when, um, you know, the baby's developing in the womb, you really need all nine months in order for the eyes to completely develop. The um, vessels in the back of the eye in the retina do not develop fully until pretty close to term. And so severely premature infants, these vessels are not developed. Exposure to 100% oxygen um, um, helps, you know, it doesn't cause, but helps, you know, is one of the risk factors for the disease retinopathy or prematurity, where the vessels develop abnormally. Um, and um, now we have pretty good treatment for this, you know, 
65 years ago, no, they didn't recognize the disease as well. And, you know, the treatments um, were not as were definitely not as adequate. Now we know babies who need oxygen for their lungs to survive. Then we know to screen them very closely, sometimes every week looking for this disease and looking for, you know, to be ready to treat it if we start seeing um, the development of retinopathy of prematurity. So he got a double hit. He, he had did. A, so that was the first injury, thing. And now, we, don't, we don't give oxygen like that anymore. Right. Not not in the not like they used to. Right. Um, the so the second thing, the toxoplasmosis of the eye. If you if if it was when he was an infant, then it was probably a congenital infection passed on from the mother. And um, once again, this is something else you know that we we you know screen for in these um, you know small small babies. But the toxoplasmosis would not you know have necessarily had anything to do with the prematurity. It was an unfortunate coincidence that um, congenitally con- congenitally you know um, mom must have had a maternal infection while she was pregnant and then passed it on to the um, baby. <laughs> So both of those can lead to vision impairment, right? Definitely, and the scarring of the retina could could be caused by both the infection and the retinopathy of prematurity, both of those things. And unfortunately, he's right. You know, right now there's no such thing as a retina transplant. Um, there, you know, that that's something that's being studied very hard because so many diseases um, destroy the retina. And I explain it to patients. You know, we can do cataract surgery, we can do cornea transplants. These are all things, you know, the lens and the windshield of the eye, we, we know how to fix those things the retina is more like the film of the camera when we used to have cameras that had film in them and you know these these front anatomy can be perfectly clear but if the film of the camera is not functioning then your pictures are not going to come out so uh there's basically not yet a fix for this one there's when not. your retina's I mean, gone, you're when out of luck. the retina is severely scarred, then no, there, there's no way to grow new retina right now. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with our special guest on Southern Remedy. We're talking about eyes with ophthalmologist Dr. Kimberly Crowder, who's given up her morning to, to be here with us. And we want to take your call at one 672 or one eight seven seven mpb ring We've got a couple of callers on the line. We'll talk a little bit about the anatomy of the eye and how that affects things as we go forward. But let's go to Helena, Arkansas, and talk to Laura. Hey, Laura. Good morning. What's your question? Um, I'm wondering, I'm diabetic, and I was wondering if uh, newly diagnosed, not quite under control yet, but I have had some mild vision changes, blurriness, and I was wondering if you could expect those things to go back to the pre-diabetic if you get it under control, if you can you see the vision recover or if you just sort of stay static where you are maybe progress if it's so the most, the most common reason that sometimes diabetics present with blurry vision initially, and I had a lady in my clinic just yesterday who over the Christmas holidays, um, she did not know she was diabetic and came in with blurry vision, and she'd had a huge change in her glasses prescription, and I said, you need to go be screened for diabetes, and it turns out she was diabetic. What happens is the sugar, when it's really, really high, um, it's absorbed by the lens of the eye, and so that in itself can make the vision blurry and if you get your diabetes under control then yes that will go back to baseline so this is three months later and her glasses prescription went back to what it was because she got her diabetes under better control now the problem with diabetes is it not only collects sugar in the lens but it can affect the retina what we just talked about and retina damage to the from the diabetes sometimes can be fixed and sometimes can't you definitely need an ophthalmologist to look at your eyes so we'll talk about diabetes how it affects the eyes 
allergies, and whatever is on your mind when we get back right after this break. We're at one 672 7464 and we have an open line. to Southern Remedy. We're here at MPB uh, Radio taking your questions. We're taking more coffee ourselves right now in order to get really fully alert. And uh, today it's all about eyes. And the last caller was talking a little bit about diabetic eye problems. They were. And so to explain this a little bit more thoroughly, so diabetes can cause multiple problems with your eyes. And um, sometimes it's a temporary problem. If the um, sugar is very high, then the sugar gets actually trapped or absorbed in the lens of the eye. And the eye has a lens just like a camera has a lens. So if there's too much sugar in this lens, then it changes shapes and it makes the vision blurry. So that's one thing that can happen. And that corrects itself over a matter of weeks after the diabetes is under better control. The thing that we worry about most, though, is that the diabetes can damage the blood vessels in the retina in the back of the eye. And like I alluded to early, the retina is more like the film of the camera. So if the diabetes damages these blood vessels, then um, that can lead to permanent vision loss sometimes. Early on, sometimes it just causes some swelling, which can be treated with laser or with injections in the eye. Um, But unfortunately, if this gets too out of control, then um, the damage can be more permanent, whereas um, you can even lead to a retinal detachment from the diabetes and sometimes unfortunately so, so the permanent point, vision loss. The point is is that diabetes can do permanent or temporary damage to your eyes, but once you start having temporary problems, that puts you at really big risk for permanent problems. Well so how do you prevent all this stuff? Uncontrolled diabetes is much more at risk for vision problems. And so the best thing that every single patient with diabetes can do in order to try to prevent vision loss from their diabetes is control the diabetes. Control so we want to get sugar. your hemoglobin A1C at appropriate levels. We do. And if you don't know your hemoglobin A1C, it's like all the other numbers that we ask people to look at. Their blood pressure. Right. Their lipids, cholesterol, uh, their hemoglobin A1C. Get the pelvic pap smear and mammogram. All those preventing, get your shingle shot. And we need to talk about shingles of the eye because we've talked about shingles so much 
Uh, and we've never mentioned that lately. It's another reason to get your shingle shot. It is. It is. Uh, so, so all of those things are important, and we can prevent so much of the disease we see in Mississippi if we just use our brains. Right. Most it of it's self-inflicted, not doing the right thing. It is. It is. Most of the severe vision loss from diabetes is because it was not controlled. And so, you know, it, it's possible that if you have the best control you can, that you will never have, you know, any vision significant problems from the diabetes in your eyes. Let's go to Water Valley, and here's Frank. Hey, Frank. Hey, good morning. Thanks for your call. Um, I am a 46-year-old man, and I have begun to have blurry vision when I try to go home and, say, read a book. And I work on a laptop computer all day long. But the vision blurriness will come and go. One day I can read the book. The next day I cannot. Everything just gets blurry and crosses. I went to see my optometrist, and when they did all the dilation and all the tests, they said I have no problem that they can find. Didn't well, even uh, recommend glasses. You fortunately probably don't have um, a pathological problem. You probably have a normal aging problem called presbyopia, and you are just starting to experience this. And you've gotten you, you've gotten lucky because a lot of people this happens much earlier, closer to the late thirties and the early forties. But as we age, the lens in the eye loses its ability to change shape, and so one of the earliest symptoms is that it the recovery time is longer is the best way I know how to describe it but like you can still read small print but then when you look up it's very blurry or you work on that computer for a long time you can see it but then you try to look at something else and it's very blurry that lens is taking longer whereas when we're young it's an almost instantaneous thing to change shape from distance into near vision so this will probably only get worse unfortunately and it is what you know first of all you know the -the over-the-counter reading glasses are for um, both for computer and for um, near vision but no it's not there if, if your eye doctor said that they don't see anything wrong in your eye it's probably because it's not something that we can actually see we just know that this process occurs in everyone as they age so this is this is another example dr crowder of communication exactly people uh i have noticed in my own practice that even though i take a lot of extra time trying to explain what's going on that people go out of the office after I think I've done a good job. And while you're in a doctor's office, I've noticed this myself. You sort of go into some kind of orbital state, you know, you disconnect from reality. Right. So uh, sometimes it takes more than one visit, follow up visit to get this straight. Really understand the picture. And if you, if you, if you, if you're confused about what the doctor says, don't leave the office confused. Say, Doctor, I know that I may have to come back for another visit, but I'm clueless about what you told me. What I really need to know today is blank, and that's usually, am I going blind? Right, and so my answer to the 46-year-old is, no, you're not going blind. If your eye exam checked out, okay, you're not going blind, but you will have more and more trouble focusing on things that are within six feet. Let's go to Louisiana and William. Hey, hey, William. Hi, how are you doing? Okay, thanks for calling us from a great state of Louisiana. It's raining real hard, and I'm uh, I'm, I'm on a speakerphone, so I hope I can connect. You're I'm doing a great. Seven year old male. Uh, I've had severe uh, nearsightedness, myopia, since I've been a child. 
And my, my doctor, my optometrist has diagnosed me with uh, cataracts in both my eyes. I'm, uh, I'm reticent or I'm hesitant to get the lens implants because I'm a tournament water skier and, and I do take falls in the water at very high speeds uh, when I fall. And I'm afraid that if I get these lens implants, uh, I, may, uh, I may be at risk for losing my sight. It's very unlikely. Most In most people, cataract surgery works very well, and the lens implants that we put in are permanent and stay there forever and never move. Um, so the risk that would be in you would be if you have had significant trauma to your eyes previously, then yes, that's the case where the lens implant may not stay, um, although it's still very unlikely that that, that would happen. So let's um, click. Let's, let's, let's stop just one second and make sure those folks who are driving around or in their kitchen or whatever know what we're talking about. So cataracts are something that just about everybody gets if they live long enough, especially if they have a lot of sun exposure, right? That's one risk factor. A lot of it is is your genes. Okay. If, if your mom had cataract surgery at 50, you're probably not going to make it to 80. Yeah, if your mom wore red jeans or blue jeans. Okay, so so uh, that let's... Let's, the last time I described my vision of the eye, uh, you look funny. So I'm going to let you describe the anatomy. Do you describe the anatomy to patients as a camera? Is that the way you talk That's about it? That's the way I try to relate things. And so the camera has a lens, just like our eye has that's a that lens. That's a little black thing in the middle? No, that's the pupil. The pupil? The pupil is the opening. The lens is directly behind the pupil. So you can't really see the lens when no. you look at somebody's eye? No, you can't. This is something that, well, this is why we dilate patients' eyes when they come in, so that we can see the lens in its entirety. Um, because if you're just looking through a tiny little pupil, you can't see the entire lens. So the so pupil is actually an opening. Uh, it's it's not an anatomic go- structure. No, yeah. it's an opening, opening of the iris. The iris is the color part of the the eye. And, and it's a muscle. It, it has muscles in it to dilate and to constrict so that your pupil gets smaller in bright light and larger in dim light. To so let how more you can remember in. this or how I've tried to remember it is the colored part of your eye is the, is the muscle, the strong part. And it contracts and your pupil goes up and down. Correct. And that lets your lens focus light on your retina. Correct. So what is the retina? So the retina is what I was alluding to is the film of the camera. It's the very back where the, the light is focused and then the um, the images are um, you know put together with these little cells that um, come in together in the retina and form an optic nerve, which then goes back to your brain to let your brain actually see the picture. All right. So so this, the screen is actually in your brain rather than sitting on your laptop. Correct. So uh, so the so back to the cataract, the the, so the 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 lens that the lens gets cloudy as we age. It this can um, accelerate with trauma, with steroid use, with diabetes. There's lots of reasons that people can get cataracts at an earlier age. But everybody, it's a normal aging process for this lens to get cloudy as we age. God just did not make the lens to last eighty and ninety years. But you can fix it by sucking it out and putting in an artificial lens. That's exactly right. We take. The patient's lens out, we break it up into small pieces and suck the little pieces out, which is why we can do this through a very small incision now instead of 20 years ago when you had to make a very large incision across half of the eyeball. And then once we get the pieces of the lens out, then we fold up a plastic or an acrylic lens implant like a taco and put it through the same little incision and let it unfold um, back where your normal lens was. 
The reason that trauma can come into this is because we leave this very thin little capsule in place to hold this lens implant. And there's a possibility if you've had significant eye trauma that this capsule could be weak and it will not hold the lens implant. This is still pretty rare. And if that's the case, sometimes we can see this before surgery if there's weakness of it. And then we know we have to go to plan B and either sew the lens implant in place or use special hooks to help hold it in place. So since our caller is a champion flip flopper off of <laughs> I, I admire these people they're daredevils and all that and stuff. that in <laughs> itself is fine it's uh-huh. really usually specific eye trauma okay so does he need to wear protective uh eye cover if he is frequently getting hit in the eye or landing on the eye then most definitely any you know um um so that the, the so sport where we usually see um significant eye injuries what we watch for in cataract surgery is boxing Okay, uh, so direct direct jabs planned to the or eye. unplanned boxing. <laughs> Either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about eye protection, but would you recommend that he consider that or talk to his ophthalmologist about it because of his... Yeah, uh, depending on exactly what kind of, you know, um, um, injuries he's sustaining on a regular basis. All right, so that's the big thing. He's, he's, he's in good shape with his new lens. <laughs> But he may want to consider some eye covering. You're listening to our all-star ophthalmologist, Dr. Kimberly Crowder from UMC on Southern Remedy. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. And we're taking all your questions about eyes today. This is your chance. She won't be back soon. Uh, she's been here two times in a row, so we're, we're trying to get all your eye questions answered today. Call us early, not late. Let's go to Todd in Jackson. Hey, Todd. Hey, um, I had a question about floaters in the eye. What causes them? Uh, are they dangerous? And is there anything that can be done to, to fix the problem? So floaters are the jelly substance behind the lens. So we're moving farther back in the eye. So behind your lens, the back of your eye is filled with a jelly substance called vitreous. And it basically just helps maintain the shape of the eyeball so that it stays round instead of squished. So it's pumped up by this goo in there called vitreous. Exactly. Um, Once again, as we age or more frequently in very nearsighted patients, it happens, you know, sometimes when they're very, very young, this um, vitreous, this jelly substance liquefies with aging. And as it does that, then we can see the edges of it better because it tends to separate from the inside walls of the eye um, as it liquefies. So the floaters are seeing the edge of the jelly substance. Floaters in themselves, most people see one, two, three floaters and they know what they look like and you can see them easier if you look against a white wall um, and those are fine. The float, What I tell my patients is the floaters you have are your friends. Um, they're going to be there forever. What uh, What is worrisome is if you get a brand new shower of a whole bunch of new floaters that you're not used to seeing or if you start seeing sustained flashes of light with those floaters, then that's a sign of a retinal tear. A retinal tear can lead to a retinal detachment, which looks like a black curtain coming across your vision. Okay, so that's an alarm sign, and let's let's get you to say that one more time. Floaters are okay floaters as long are as okay. they're your friends. Yeah, as long yeah. as they're the few that you're used to seeing. Those if you folks see that you know. a 
big shower of new ones. And what people describe it is, is all of a sudden there's like 15 or 20 little gnats that they come in swatting. Like there's these little bugs everywhere in my vision. Or sometimes they describe them as all of a sudden there's a ton of spider webs everywhere in their vision. Um, so those are warning signs that something may be wrong. It's We're looking for a change. The ones that you're used to seeing are fine. How if there's quick a do change, you need to go to the ophthalmologist you, when you have this? You need to go that day. So you need to call the ophthalmologist's office and say, I've had this. Right. Can you see me today? Right. You what if they say no? Then you can go to the emergency okay, room. Okay, good. And this is we'll a big deal. In. This yeah, is a big deal. Because brand new shower of floaters or flashes is a sign that there could be a retinal tear. And we would rather laser a retinal tear than have you have a retinal detachment, which has to go to surgery to fix. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We're about to go to Gulfport to North Mississippi and Mobile and to your house if you give us a call at one 672 or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. You're back. We're here live, as live as we can get, taking your call on Southern Remedy, our attempt to keep you healthy and give you evidence-based information, not a bunch of boogaloo. And we have a special guest, the lovely and charming expert on the eyes, Dr. Kimberly Crowder, ophthalmologist. And I was just talking to her as, um, as speaking as a primary care physician to a super specialist like she is is how often our hearts are broken because folks just don't take care of themselves. And the eyes are a particular case in point because, you know, you'll take your car in to get an oil change and tune-up, but by golly, you won't have your eyes checked. And by the time you get to Dr. Crowder, she sees this on a daily basis. You've waited too late uh, to get things taken care of. So what are the routine recommendations and what are the alarm signs for getting your eyes checked? So the routine recommendations vary somewhat with depending on what disease you have, you know, diabetes being one of them that you need yearly eye exams, no matter what. Um, I usually recommend that patients at least have a screening eye exam at some point in their thirties or early forties, just to make sure everything looks okay. And, you know, make sure they don't need glasses or anything, make sure we don't see any disease processes. Um, and then we kind of plan on how often they need to be seen after that. If their eyes look perfectly healthy, then I might say, you know, two, three, four, five years, you know, um, if there's any signs that something might be beginning, then I bring them back much sooner. Um, our academy recommends once you turn age 60, you have an eye exam every single year, no matter what, even if your glasses are fine, even if your vision has not changed, just because some disease processes that we can treat better early, um, will sneak up and not have significant vision changes at the beginning. And I've heard you say, and be very gracious about it, 
as far as you're concerned, if you don't have an underlying chronic illness that's associated with eye disease, you ophthalmologist, you MD ophthalmologist, don't care whether that, that screening is taken care of by an ophthalmologist or an optometrist. Correct. There's not enough MD ophthalmologists in this state to see every patient without a doubt. We need our optometry friends to help us with all the screening that needs to be done for glaucoma, for diabetes, for cataracts, you know, for just multiple disease processes. So they're out there and they're willing to see you and they're trained and licensed. So you need to get your eyes checked. Let's go to Gary in Mobile, my favorite place. Hey, Mobile. Hey, how are you doing? Good to hear from you. I'm glad I caught y'all on the radio this morning. I wanted to try to get in. Okay, you're in. Okay, um, a few years ago, I had a retinal detachment in my left eye, and uh, they tried to get it back the way it was supposed to, but uh, to make a long story short, they couldn't, and it has formed a cataract and real, really noticeable this past year. I mean, it's it's not quite as white as a sheet of paper, but not far from it. And I've tinted my glasses down because to try to disguise it some, and it's inoperable. It, uh, I've been told by specialists that uh, so much has gone on inside the eye, and also they did a what they call a sclerobuccal procedure. Um, Do okay. you have uh, any vision in that eye? Do you see oh, light no, at all? No, ma'am. You have no light at all. No, no, it's. Well, light, maybe a tiny, tiny little bit, but it's it's mainly black. Okay, and what's your question? What is your question? Is there anything you can do? I'm assuming you're asking cosmetically, can they take the cataract out just so that people don't see the white spot? Is that correct? Well, uh, since you brought that up, um, um, yeah, can they? Can that be done? Okay, we got your question. You you can go in and take a cataract out. In his case, if the retina is, which what sounds like the retina is permanently detached, it cannot be reattached, then the vision is permanently lost. So it doesn't matter if you have a clean lens on your camera, if there is no film in the camera, you will not have a picture. Um, it's So usually we don't, you know... Um, take cataracts out on blind eyes just because we know it will not help the vision whatsoever. Um, His case is more of a cosmetic question. Could you take it out just so people don't see that one looks white? And yes, you you could. Okay. So you made the question several times. You made the point several times. Uh, Most everything is at least addressable till you get to the retina and the optic nerve itself. That's a big booger boo. It's, it is. So tell us, what are the signs of having problems there where we can get ourselves in quickly to get that taken care of? Because a lot of it I know you can fix with lasers and all the other stuff you do. Right. So, the, the main things you look for are changes. <laughs> I mean, it, it can vary, you know, I mean, sometimes that change is there's a ton of new floater. Sometimes that change is that straight lines look a little bit wavy. Sometimes that change is just things don't look as clear as they're supposed to. But changes need to be addressed. Okay, good. Good point. Let's go to Mary in Gulfport. Hey, Mary, thank you for waiting. I'm sorry it took so long to get your call, but you are on the air. How can we help? Dr. Rick, I know you're speaking about diabetes and the eye uh, diseases from that, but quickly, you gave the name of an over-the-counter medication to a gentleman about three or four weeks ago that had severe pain and arthritis in that last joint of the thumb, and I was just calling to see if you could repeat that slowly, and I can write the name down. I will definitely do that, and we appreciate your call, and 
give a big shout out to you folks down in Gulfport who are pretty wet today. And this is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with our special guest, Dr. Kimberly Crowder, who is an ophthalmologist uh, at UMC and a very, very good one uh, that we have up here as often as we can get her up here. I was talking about, uh, she was talking about first carpal metacarpal pain in the thumb of folks who have osteoarthritis. And uh, there's not much we can do about that other than, A, we can splint it. Uh, B, we can do a little bit of physical therapy. doesn't work very well. C, we can inject steroids in it. Or for people who have chronic pain, we can put Volterin gel, V-O-L-T-A-R-E-N gel, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent, but it doesn't go to your stomach, doesn't give you ulcers, and you can use it really frequently on that, and it does help. Volterin, V-O-L-T-A-R-E-N gel. I use it myself. I recommend it. I have no stock in that company, whoever makes it, but please send me some immediately after this program. Let's go to Patricia in Mobile. Hey, Patricia. Hi, good morning. Good to hear from you. Uh, I have two unrelated questions. The first is my mother suffers from, and I'm not diagnosing her, but like chronic eye dryness. And so I was wondering what some of the causes and, and treatments for that could be besides Visine, which I don't think is good. And the second question is now that, a, you know, a good amount of time has passed since the introduction of um, LASIK surgery, do we appreciate now that if, if there are any negative or adverse consequences due to that surgery? Because I'm thinking about possibly going to get it, but I'm hesitant because I don't know if any problems have surfaced. How old are you? I am 29. Can I ask you a question, too, before she answers your question? Sure. Do all young women in Mobile have to wear those big dresses in the spring and go around azaleas? Do you have one of those big balloon dresses? Well, yes, we do. Oh, okay. There we go. Well, I want to come down there and see y'all because they're, they're pretty pretty neat. They're beautiful. We, they're, they weren't full bloom just a few weeks ago and mobile was as beautiful as it could be well i expect um, i expect you were on the market as a, tra- a trail made down there and a big shout out to you and all our friends in mobile so she had two questions so dry eyes which i addressed a lot six weeks ago but just a reminder um so the and i have no stock in any of these companies either but you don't use visine quote to get the red out you can visine does make a visine for dry eyes you want to use anything that says lubricant eye drops on it and there's 25 or 30 different brands and it doesn't matter which brand you start out with um but for during the daytime lubricant eye drops then i if that's not enough doing those three four times a day then i recommend my patients add a lubricating gel or ointment at bedtime to treat the dryness while they sleep turn the ceiling fan off turn the fan off in the room or sleep with a eye mask one of those little soft um eye masks that you see at the spa to block See, you told me that several several uh some time ago i can't remember i'm too old 
Um, and I've been telling people about that ever since, and I was absolutely clueless. And so say that again about the fans. That's one of the biggest Sleeping causes. with fans on because a lot of people don't keep their eyes tightly closed while they sleep, and so that movement of air causes the eyes to get dried out while they sleep. Now, we talked about other risk factors last time, too, working on the computer all day long, you know, staring at, you know, spreadsheets or reading, you know, these are all risk factors. Um, but lubricating eye drops during the the day, a lubricating gel or ointment at bedtime, turn the fans off. If that's still not helping, then you definitely need to be evaluated to see if there's a bigger problem with your dry eyes or if you need a prescription like Restasis um, to help treat the dry eyes. So a little bit is okay, but if you start having a lot that's not controlled with some simple lubricant, that's another right. We flag. always start with the over-the-counters. We start with conservative therapy because most people, that's all they need. So t- <laughs> so this, let's run some brands down. Sustain, is that one of them? That's one of them. Refresh Genteel, you know, like I said, Visine for dry eyes. There's and then and th- there's there's generic brands too, which are fine. You know, um, I always tell patients, you know, as long as it says lubricating eye drops, start with that. Now, I have found some patients, some brands work better on some patients than others. They're all a little bit different, so I don't recommend you give up after just trying one brand. Try two or three to see which kind feels best to you. And is the active ingredient in there methyl cellulose? Is and that a lot of them. Yeah, and that's but, basically goo. It, lubrication like right. uh, for the gels and the um the ointments at bedtime you know like you're basically you're putting vaseline in your eyes it's made for the eyes though the lasik question at 29 yes you will be happy with it um you will develop presbyopia meaning that of inability to focus up close in your late 30s so that's the negative but we have looked at lasik for many many years it's a safe surgery we'll be right back after this break to take your eye question and talk about how to use eye drops correctly Stay with us. And we're looking at you right between the eyes today. We've got ophthalmologist, Dr. Kimberly Crowder. I'm Dr. Rick. And we're here with you talking about everything having to do with your eyes. We'll take your call at one 672 7464 Now, right before the break, I said we're going to go to North Mississippi in just a second. Because um, uh, North Mississippi has been neglected today. And I, I want to make sure <laughs> all those people, we, we give the love to them. Um uh, we're talking about eye drops. I have all kinds of trouble dropping those things in. What is the right way to do it? So the correct way to do it is you do not have to drop the drop right smack dab in the middle of the eyeball. The best way, and I've trained patients who swore they could never put an eye drop in, is that you pull your lower lid down 
and you look all the way up and then you drop a drop right underneath the lower lid. Then you close your eyes and it will spread all over the eyeball. You do not have to drop a drop directly on the eyeball for it to be effective. You have to look up. You have to look up and it creates a little cul-de-sac. You can see in the mirror when you do it. And then pull your bottom lid down. Pull the bottom lid down, look all the way up and Uh, then drop the drop in that little cul-de-sac on the inside of the lid. Then close your eyes for a couple of minutes and let it soak in. Excellent. Excellent. I got a leaf brewer for my birthday. Uh, What does that mean? Well, I got a big gas one that you put on your back. Right. It means that your driveway will be clear, but with um, this is the time of year. Everybody's getting out in the yard and beginning their spring cleaning. Um, need to wear eye protection with mowing the yard, with weeding, with blowing. Men don't wear eye protection. Well, they should Sissies if wear. they want to continue to see out of both of their eyes. Um, lots of injuries are caused by things blowing out. You, you run over a rock, it ricochets off the brick wall, and it comes back and hits you right in the eye. This causes frequently permanent vision loss. So recommend when you're out and about in your yard, um, you need to have eye protection on. Also, another place where we see a lot of it is riding four-wheelers. They go through the brush. A limb comes back and slaps them in the eye. A lot of people are out, you know, on their land riding their four-wheelers. Wear eye protection. Now, the public thinks this is mumbo-jumbo. I'm going to ask you a question. How many people have y'all seen with penetrating eye injuries, stuff going all the way in the eye in the last week. And unfortunately, we have been to the operating room six times in the past, like, five days. And usually, you know, statistically, we sh- this should only happen, you know, about once a week, once every other week. Spring is our main eye trauma time. And this eye trauma can usually be prevented if you are doing high-risk activities, um, wear eye protection. And what, what is eye protection? It is some. It can be anything as simple as a really good pair of sunglasses made of polycarbonate lenses and that's the key because they're shatterproof if you're out mowing your yard i recommend you actually have goggles um that are made of polycarbonate they sell these at lowe's they sell these at home depot but that way you're shielded on all sides of your eyes so that nothing can get in and your pharmacies including your local small pharmacy Independent pharmacists may have these too, right? May. Your optical shops will definitely have them though. Go in and ask the optician, say, you know, and they don't have to be, you don't need a prescription. You just say the words, I need polycarbonate lenses for protection for my eyes. Superb. (laughs) Terry, we're so glad you called us and I apologize for your long wait. What's your question? Um, Is this uh, North Mississippi now? Yes, sir. You are it. Okay. Thank you, sir, very much. Uh, the first question I have two. Uh, the first one's regarding macular degeneration, both wet and dry, and if there is any um, uh, natural herb or whatever, or or vitamin or supplement that would assist with decreasing the impact of macular degeneration. Okay, what's the uh, second one? I'm sorry. What's the second question? The second question, sir, is um, I have not really, I do have floaters that are friendly floaters, I guess I'll call them now because they've been around a long time. But the jagged uh, light that's Z-shaped, it's like many, many Zs connected together um, on the right side of my eye. And it only happens 
maybe once every four or five months. And if you cover each eye when you're seeing the zigzag lights, can you see it a little bit in both eyes? It may be more prominent on one eye, but can you see a little bit in both eyes? Yes, ma'am. Okay, we got your questions, and thank you for your call. So I'll start with the last question. So jagged zigzag lines, that is a classic migraine, whether you get the headache or not after you see them. But seeing jagged zigzag lines out of both eyes at the same time, his are on the right side. Some people's, most people's are on the left side, but it can be on either side. That is a classic migraine. And you can see them with your eyes closed and open. Correct. Is that the point you were Correct. making? You, so it's if you a vascular eye, phenomenon. So And you don't even have to have a headache to have it. You don't right? have to have a headache. You can have an ocular migraine. Most people, though, 30 minutes after they see the jagged zigzag lines, then they get the headache. So he described a known entity in the medical literature. He did. What about that? He did a great job of it. Okay. Um, macular degeneration. The um, For dry macular degeneration, there is evidence-based medicine based on the ARID study, A-R-E-D-S, age-related eye disease study, that taking certain amounts of certain vitamins will slow the progression. Um, These vitamins are sold over the counter. They're called eye caps. They're called Preservision. There are several different brands of them. They're expensive. They're expensive, but they have been shown to slow the progression of dry macular degeneration. I do, like I said last time, you need to bring the box to your primary physician, though, because these are such high doses of vitamins E and A and um, zinc and copper that we need your primary physician to make sure that they won't interfere with any other drugs that you're currently taking. Mm. So should we take these prophylactically? Just uh, well, somebody in my family had macular degeneration. Should I go out and buy these things? They're over the counter. That's being studied right now, but the um, evidence is not conclusive yet if you should take them prophylactically because of your family history. But it's a big question that's being addressed in studies right now of whether it would help to take them prophylactically. Well, hopefully you'll tell us the answer to that. But it's, It'll it's be probably, a few years. It's probably not worth uh, I heard you say before, probably that, that you need to talk to your doctor. You need to this, talk to your doctor and risk. see if you see if they if you have any um, new, you know, small evidence or new evidence, early evidence of macular degeneration before you start taking vitamins. Um, you know, as far if we're if we're basing it on ev- what the evidence says right now. Hey, Linda, the minute hall. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? We're doing okay. Thanks for your call. Have a quick question about. Uh, LASIK with someone who has diabetes, and what are the risk factors? Okay. LASIK itself is not necessarily a risk factor that would cause diabetic retinopathy in the eye, Um, but you need to be evaluated because if you already have diabetic retinopathy, you know, then probably your eye surgeon is not not going to want to do LASIK on you. Okay, let's go to Gary in Mobile. Hey, Gary. Hey, hey. Uh, I'm sorry I got disconnected a while ago, but uh, I'm glad to be back on. Well, I'm sorry you got disconnected. What's your question? Make it quick. We're about out of time. Um, well, I, I'm the one that was saying that I had a sclerobuckle procedure in my left eye due to a retinal detachment. Yeah. And uh, a couple of doctors have said that the cataract can't be removed. One said that it uh, cataract removal is supposed to be a bloodless surgery, and they said... 
with mine, uh, that wouldn't be the case. Okay. Depending well, on your exam, it, I mean, yeah, it, it may be too dangerous of a surgery to risk. Yeah, it, and, it would have to case, be based got, on an individual exam, though. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a couple of callers left on the, on the line, and we're just out of time. We're sorry that we can't get to your call. Will you send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org? Or call us back at one of our open mic shows, and we will definitely answer your question if that's important to you. And thank you for listening. We've gotten through a lot of questions today. A special thank you to Dr. Kimberly Crowder, who's Associate Professor of Ophthalmology, who's been up here several times recently. We appreciate it. Our program is produced by the lovely and charming Jenny Wilburn. Uh, And we will be back with you next week with a great program. So be healthy. Stay tuned, and we'll see you again next week.